Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. And we have a guest today on the show, live from Destin, Florida, the Emerald Coast, Ralph Russo, longtime reporter for the AP. Ralph, introduce yourself to all the great people out there. Hello, Braden, and hello, Aaron. Uh, nice to meet you all. Yeah, working for the AP for 25 years, National College Football Writer. You can find me at Ralph D. Russo AP. Uh, it's been an interesting few days here in Destin. You know, one of the great parts about my job is get to travel all over the country and to some very beautiful places like the Gulf Coast of Florida, though you spend a lot of your time at beautiful places <laughs> in hotel lobbies. Now, I've been I, there is a beach. I'm almost positive there's a beach here. I, I've glanced at it from afar, but mostly I've been stuck in a hotel lobby trying to well, run people down. Well, we'll try to get your sense of what actually happened this week in Destin, which we're not really sure how much actually happened, but there there might be some things that we can discuss. Certainly, we'll get into the the, the remnants of the Fisher-Saban feud after Greg Sankey poured a giant bucket of cold water, I'm assuming, behind closed doors on all of these coaches and told them to stay in line. And then we'll talk about the AP poll, of course, which you and I have talked about before, but um, the AP poll, you guys are in the process of putting together the voters, and you know that's going to happen, obviously, later on in the summer, and, and so we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Before we do any of that, however... Uh, Aaron Dugan and Ralph, if you'd like to chime in and invent some copy for our sponsor, a wonderful sports bar, Jasper's here in Nashville and Four Top Hospitality with 13 locations across the Southeast in Memphis and Huntsville and Jackson, Mississippi, serving all you wonderful SEC fans, you are welcome to. But Aaron, uh, our, our, our podcast is brought to you by who? No, we'll let Ralph do it. Okay. I, Ralph, I literally make something up, have, it often has nothing to do with restaurants or the hospitality <laughs> industry in general. Well, so, I mean, I, I lived in Jackson for a while, so I'm trying to remember, like, okay. what, if, I, if I've maybe ever been to this place in Jackson. Uh, but listen, every place, everywhere you go, you need a good sports bar, right? I mean, because where it's the place to find friends in unfamiliar territory. I'm in a new place. I really don't know this place. I really don't know anybody. But if I go to the sports bar, I will find somebody rooting for or against my team who I could either become friends with or enemies with. And that's Sports bars bringing the world together. Jasper's, wow. cre Jasper's creating enemies on West End for one and a half years. <laughs> that was very impressive. <laughs> well done, Ralph. Well done. And again, honestly, Four Top Hospitality, who owns Jasper's in Nashville, they have awesome locations, Char, etc., uh, Saltine, Etch, uh, Amerigo, all across the Southeast again, and 13 locations. So obviously all you SEC fans, make sure you check them out. Uh, they are wonderful and amazing people, a small locally owned sort of company that does really great work, great chefs, and uh, the next evolution of the sports bar, that of course will bring people together. All right, so uh, first question for you, Ralph, what do we actually know happened? I know there's, maybe there's no divisions, maybe there is, we know that the pod system is probably dead, and we know that Texas and Oklahoma have been heavily involved in the scheduling discussions. What, what else, what, what actually happened this week in Destin, in, in your mind? Okay, let me let me roll roll some things back. I don't know heavily involved is the right word for Texas and Oklahoma, but they have been involved. And the only reason that might be semantics, uh, but the only reason why I would correct that is you know they really aren't here. They truly they're, they're not here. They're at the Big Twelve meetings. Awkward in in Dallas this week. Uh, they are truly uh, you know teams without countries. So, but they absolutely have been involved and advised. Uh, as far as the divisions, you know, so I guess Greg Sankey. 
last night we're recording this on a on Thursday morning and Wednesday he spoke with us and he basically said listen we're probably not getting this done this week not the division the divisions are going away the schedule piece of it where it's going to be eight or nine probably not going to get done this week they're probably going to kick the can down the road uh, he left the door open about a you know about an inch to the fact that hey the presidents are coming in today maybe we'll after we present something to them we'll have them vote because ultimately the president's got to get a rubber stamp this but I, but again seems unlikely and the feedback i'm getting from other ad's off the record and and on background is yeah that doesn't seem likely sounds like what this problem is essentially is they don't have enough votes to get this thing decided it, it's a majority it's got to be a majority vote as far as eight or nine conference games and it sounds like they're close enough to 50-50 where they don't want to do that. Um, so it doesn't look like that's getting done this week. There are tinkering or looking at tinkering with some transfer rules in the conference that would make it a, give uh, players a little more time, football players a little more time to transfer within the conference to match up with the NCAA windows. I think their, their thought is, well, why are we telling our own kids they can't transfer within the conference after February 1st? Those are the best players. Why are we shutting them off to our schools yeah. and, and sending them to other conferences? So it doesn't look like they're, they're going to get a ton done this week. Hence the soap opera between Nick <laughs> and Jimbo ends up dominating the headlines. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things that everybody's going to latch on to just because of the nature of it. But if we dig in, Ralph, Braden and I talked a little bit about this yesterday, just digging into all the reasons why teams would lean towards eight versus nine. And we came up with several, but just throwing them out there and tell us what we're leaving out or what the most important ones of these are that we're naming. Obviously, like some teams, like getting them to bowl eligibility if they're in the lower half of the SDC is a factor. I'm sure strength of schedule for college football playoff contention is a factor, but so is ticket sales, which is money. So is TV, which is money. Um, and we can keep going. But what are what are the most important factors and what are we leaving out? I don't know if you're leaving much out there, but you're right. I mean, the, the schedule com, schedules have two main components, right? There's the competitive component and the financial component. And I think that I think that you end up having to sort of balance, you know, which one is more important. And of course, competitiveness has a financial component embedded in it, because if you're good, you're going to sell more tickets. And if you are constantly, you know, if you're adding another loss and you're and you're and you're playing at a and you're not playing for a bowl game, it, it draws attention away from the fans. I don't think there's a TV component to this because that's come up a little bit. The, the television contract is set. And if you think about it, adding another conference game doesn't necessarily give more inventory because what you'd be taking away from the non-conference schedules, for the most part, is a game that's going to be an, an, an SEC non-conference home game, right? Most of the, yeah, most of the schools are not going to punt their good non-conference game where they may be on the they're maybe at a neutral site or playing at a, another opponent's home and home. Right. Mostly, what they're going to punt on is you know that other buy game against an FCS team or a lower level FBS team. So I don't think now maybe in the long run, if you're playing nine conference games. 
you know, your TV partner comes back to you and says, okay, like we like the way this looks and, you know, we can possibly bump up a little bit, but I don't think it's affecting that part of the TV schedule, but, but there's a whole bunch of other, as you said, uh, financial components, as far as ticket sales and everything that goes into competitiveness and being a little more competitive. Well, when you make that point, sorry, Braden, when you make that point about, you're right, the inventory is not changing. And in fact, if we're talking about SEC specifically, the actual um, good product that you get for your own network, SEC network two and plus, like all of those different components actually could be better with those conference rivalries. So I, I hear you. Well, but, not what, wrong. What, well, but it, does this, uh, here's a question though. Doesn't Texas and Oklahoma change all of this? Like, or, or the, like the new deal that they stole from CBS that doesn't have Texas and Oklahoma baked into it. Does it? I mean, or, or was it one of those like wink, wink, nod, nod. I mean, oh, maybe, maybe we're going to get Texas and Oklahoma. I, I don't know if there's any record of that. <laughs> I'm not sure if anybody said that in a place where it could be foiled. Um, but I, I, as of right now, as far as we know, there isn't necessarily a bump for Texas and Oklahoma in, in this television con. Now it could be wrong, could be wrong. And that may be something baked in that we haven't heard from ESPN. You know, again, they've been very coy about, Hey, when we expand, because even even now, even though we know you're going, we, they're expanding. There's still this element of like, well, they're not here, so we aren't. They're really not part of us yet. Because even when the the scheduling stuff came up, right? I mean, we're we're still, yes, we we've, we've we've included them in the conversations, but you know, we've advised them, we've uh, we've updated and briefed them, we've gotten some feedback, but they've been very cautious about trying to like about overstepping their bounds because contractually right Texas and Oklahoma are still in another conference and they're trying really hard not to get sued so <laughs> so there is that 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 gray area that Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC are working in right I, now I guess I was under the assumption that all of this stuff is probably going to kick in around the same time the new scheduling model playoff expansion yes. Texas and Oklahoma and I'm assuming that opens the door for a renegotiation of the television contract, even though it's fairly new. Mm -hmm. I, I assume that's that that was sort of always the plan, which is why, to me, nine conference games is significant more inventory to sell back to ESPN. And and frankly, it allows you the three and six model. And this goes back to Aaron's first question. Like we, we sort of know Vanderbilt, Missouri, South Carolina, you know, the teams that don't always get to bowl games, they're going to want eight conference games. It's obvious. Kentucky. Uh, although Kentucky's been good, we know the big boys are going to want more. Saban and Smart have been open about it. Uh, you know, at some point, do doesn't the money and like the fan love of the extra SEC game and the ticket sales and getting rid of that FCS game, doesn't that all eventually push this to nine games? Or is that well, so, so? So I do. I think so. Listen, I was talking to an AD, uh, you know, who asked me not to, you know, to sort of keep it to myself here. Uh, keep him. To it's himself. just us girls. No one's listening. It's yeah, but, but I was talking to somebody on the side of eight and he basically said listen we're going to nine <laughs> at some point we are going yeah. to nine like I, I i realize and i've also made peace with it because i understand the benefits i get from nine i would prefer eight for some of the reasons that you're talking about competitively it, it works a little better for our program but i also see the benefits of nine the, the the folks I, and I my 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 suspicion is from talking to some folks here is that they all sort all the folks who sort of are in the eight camp understand that well if it does go to nine here's the way I benefit I will yeah. get to see these teams coming through my my 
my backyard more often. I will get more Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, you know, the, the fancy new toy will come to my building. I can build better home schedules for my, my fans. So I think there's a recognition, even from those who would rather stay at eight, or at least from some of those who rather stay at eight, that nine has benefit has some benefits too. I, I also think without getting into again too many, you know, naming names, because I think some folks are trying to be guarded about this. Um, it's been interesting to hear without without with with well, while still having a hard time confirming that, like again, like as I talked about the 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 one AD who was like, Yeah, I prefer eight, but I see the benefits in nine. I also think that there are some who like have generally preferred nine in the past who now see the complications with it. Look at their non-conference schedules that have been mapped out over the last, over the next yeah. 10 years and say, boy, like we added this really good school. We added this really good school. I mean, listen, Greg Byrne talked about this yesterday, the Alabama AD. So I can, I, you know, he, he talked about this on the record. You know, they, Saban has always been a proponent of nine. So you'd assume that Alabama is a proponent of nine, but then you hear Greg Byrne talking about like, you know, we scheduled our non-conference schedule with the idea that we were going to have eight and we have some big opponents coming up. And now do I want to keep the two big opponents plus nine conference games? And now I'm playing 11 power five teams in some seasons. Like, uh, that might not be the, the thing I really want. Um, so I think, again, there are some who, who prefer nine, who I think understand the complications of doing that and maybe are a little are a little more reluctant. And I think there are some who prefer eight, but also in the long run, no, listen, it's probably going to nine. And by the way, I can I can make that work. Right. right. Yeah. And this is just I mean, before I know we were kind of dwelling on this, but it's it's interesting and. And we're talking about, you know, that we're inevitably heading in that direction. Just a random point is my background's in like television and some SEC network stuff. And all of those schools are completely broadcast capable. So you no longer have to send out a TV truck to a non-conference opponent where you know the quality of the program is not going to be as good. It's a lot more expensive because these schools are already completely equipped and we're doing it alone in 2020 and 2021. Um, so... I don't know. That's just one more thing that that probably is pointing us in that direction. Yeah, I just think that you, I, I think it goes back to sort of what Braden was talking about. Simple logic. You don't bring these two massive teams into your conference, right? Texas and Oklahoma, and then limit your exposure, your, <laughs> correct, your, your correct. conference's exposure to them. And then not, not more play them. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. just, it doesn't, and, and I understand you're getting rid of the, the divisions no matter what. They have oh, established that. The divisions are gone. So even if you stick with eight, the one seven, um, you're going to rotate those seven more frequently. So they will come through a little more frequently, but adding that extra game, I think just makes a lot of sense. Now, of course, listen, I, you mentioned the playoff and the bigger picture. And I think there is some, again, legit concern among SEC coaches, especially. I'm not sure if the coach is going to have a whole lot of say in this stuff. I think ultimately the ADs are going to make this call and the presidents. I think the coaches, it's like, oh, so what do you guys think? That's it's a, great. It's okay. a ceremonial. It's a ceremonial vote for sure. Yeah. So, but I do think that there is, even at the AD level, some legit concern of like, wait a second. Okay, we're going to play nine. The Big Ten is going to play nine. The ACC is still playing eight. The Pac-12, they would actually prefer to get back to eight 
though this whole alliance thing isn't really working out like we thought it was going to. So I don't know if we're going to have enough non-conference games available to fill out our schedule. So does that really work? I still think ultimately the Pac-12 might slide back to eight. And in other words, long story short, it's we're playing nine. We're in the toughest conference, the SEC. Like, why are we making it harder on ourselves to get to the playoff, especially if we're not 100% sure it's going to 12? But no, but but but, but that's the thing. If we're not 100% sure it's going to 12, and we still don't know that, like, now we're going to be piling some extra losses on ourselves. Are we going to be eliminating ourselves from possible playoff spots if it only goes to eight or if it stays at four? So I, I get that as well. Are, are you and, genuinely concerned about the SEC being left out of the playoff, Ralph? Honestly, like deep in your heart, are you worried about that? No, but I think what you end up being worried about is not necessarily the SEC being left out. It's how many of the SEC teams are left. In other words, if it's four, if we're going to stay at four, and I don't think that's likely. But that's the problem. See, the problem is this this uncertainty. Like I can say, well, it's going to get to 12. Don't worry, guys. It's going to get to 12. But it's not like we don't know that for sure. It's Mm -hmm. not at 12. We don't have a done deal on that. So the uncertainty of where the playoff is heading, is it going to be 12? Is it going to stay at four? Is it going to be eight? I think creates just enough discomfort that when they look around and say, what should we do here? I I, I think a two loss team, though, once you go to eight even or 10, whatever the number is. Two two lost teams are getting in. Like we could have a two lost team this year get into the four team playoff. I and I will say this, which I think is ironic about this entire conversation, is right now we don't have a playoff in twenty twenty seven. There, right, right. there is no there is nothing. There, there is right. no playoff right now. Right. Um. All right. So in, anything else from the, the before we get to Fisher and Saban, which we're gonna have okay. to have our conversation about. Um. Is, is there anything else? I, I mean. Other than like, did you get any sense of which rivalries they want to protect? Like, for example, I don't think anyone under the age of 40 gives a shit about Tennessee and Alabama. I think everyone over the age of 40 loves that game. I grew up on Florida and Tennessee being a key rivalry. Obviously, the Egg Bowl and the Iron Bowl. And there's some. But like, I get in big arguments with like Booger McFarlane about like LSU and Florida is not that important to LSU people. Whereas like the Magnolia Bowl is like, do you get any sense as to what? games are going to be protected by talking to anybody or is that like too far down the road it is too far down the road i will say this and it brings up a point when uh, at the beginning of our podcast home and home we talked about this on my on my show uh i i think you're too far down the road to get into the minutia of like okay who do you want greg sankey was asked about this like how much input will the schools have on who their permanent opponents will be and he basically gave a we'll say, which is clearly like this is being talked about. Now you can say now, right, of course, right. like I think it's being talked about like informally, but I think before they even have made the eight or nine call, yeah, I don't know if they they can really get deep into the weeds about it. But the one thing I will say is I do think there is an acknowledgement that we have to balance some tradition. Oh, these are cool rivalries with like, hey man the competitive part of it. Like yeah. how much can you burden yeah. a really good school, a, a team that tr- uh, fancies itself as a national title contender. Yeah. But do you want to have three monster rivalries every year? And on the flip side, Hey, is there a way we can, if we're going to go to nine, make it a little easier for the schools that aren't necessarily competing for a national championship. And with that in mind, Hey, I understand this is your traditional rival, right. but maybe you'd rather play Vandy. 
Sorry, man. No, no. And I think, I think <laughs> like, I think it's the most fun exercise that I'm doing right now. I'm just like playing around with it all day, every day, just like looking at who it is. And I'm okay with there being a little imbalance, like Vanderbilt and Kentucky and, you know, South Carolina, Missouri, getting slightly easier sets of three, let's say, than Alabama or, or LSU or Georgia. And because guess what? If you look at Auburn's schedule, it's going to get easier because they right now, if, if even if their big three is tough, and it, let's say it's Alabama, Georgia, and LSU, let's say, hypothetically, which is a monstrous three games to have on your mm-hmm. schedule each week, they don't play Vanderbilt twice every four years, but they're going to get Vanderbilt twice every four years, so it's actually easier than it is today. And if you give Vandy an easy schedule in their permanent three, well, that's actually going to be tougher because then they're going to have Bama and and A&M and Texas and Oklahoma every two years. So it is actually going to even out no matter who your permanents are. Generally, two points. Generally speaking, the East is going to get a little tougher. The East schedules are going to get a little tougher. Very broadly speaking, the East schedules are going to get a little tougher. The West schedule is going to get a little easier. Bingo. Very, very broadly. I'm painting broad brush there. I want to sit on Kentucky just for one second here because I was inter- interested. If you think about a, a program like Kentucky, which has had this breakthrough, right? They are they have become something that they've had a hard time being over the last couple. They've won a couple of ten win seasons. Like, what would that look like if they weren't? If they didn't have the benefit of a schedule that is a little more manageable. Like, and I think if you're Kentucky, you're guarding the ability to like to your program yeah. to blossom, your yeah. program to to grow. They've taken advantage of Florida being a little less than Florida, Tennessee being kind of a mess. Uh, the, they've taken advantage of the fact that their their permanent crossover rival is Mississippi State, which is generally, you know, a, a program they can see eye to eye with. And then they've also taken advantage because it's only an eight game schedule of, you know what? We don't really need to stretch ourselves too much on these three other games where we know we're going to play yep. Louisville at the yep. end. So like, but that's, there are other programs and other conferences that look at that and th- like, I, I, you know, what comes to mind is like Rutgers or Maryland in the big 10, where they have a hard time growing their program because they're constantly butting into, we got to pay Penn state, Michigan state, Ohio state, Michigan every damn year. Yep. Right. So uh, yeah. I understand why when you think of it, look at through the prism of Kentucky and understand the growth of that program and how much the schedule helped the growth of that program. I think you understand why there's some yeah. protectionism when it comes to the eight games. So let's Great get point. to, let's get to Fisher and Saban. And I guess my, my first question is like, I thought there was a lot of performative faux outrage from Fisher, even in the moment. I don't think it's inauthentic. I think it's who he is. How much, how, how big was the bucket of cold water? How tight was the leash that Greg Sankey jerked? Because, you know, Lane Kiffin doesn't do an interview on the Dan Patrick show because he was going to be asked about it and he wasn't allowed to like how it sounds like Sankey had a, come to Jesus meeting with all these boys. Well, so what Greg will tell you or what he told us is, I didn't have to do that. We sort of we sort of established that before we got here. But he did say this. And I I think, you know, sometimes what they say, I I think we love to in our business sort of say sources said this, sources said that. But a lot of times they tell you a lot if you're listening closely enough on the record. And after Greg said, listen, I think we had sort of made our point before we even got here. He, He said in his very scholarly Greg Sankey way. And I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't remember the exact quote. We did emphasize to our coaches 
that as leaders, they should talk about their teams and their, their players and their programs. <laughs> right. It sounds so, like how I talk to my five-year-old. <laughs> right. There was at least, at least a mention of stay out of each other's business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I want to also reference something here. Cause again, I'm old enough. I think you guys are maybe may old enough to remember this, but when Mike Slive took over as conference commissioner, one of the problems the SEC had is the SEC was just all up in each other's businesses. We talked right? about this last week. Okay, yeah. And I think that Greg wants to wants to reestablish a little of that culture. Yeah, like, he's hey, like man, rising. Gotta get out of each other's business. Rising tide raises all ships kind of vibes. He's like, let's cut it out and just, yeah. you know, be on the same team. Yeah, we can't be. I mean, back then it was more about like people literally ratting on each other. Go investigate that. And there, was, and there was a tinge of that in what Fisher was saying. So I, I think there is a little bit of like, hey, mind your own, stay out of each other's businesses and let's not it, let's it's, not be the ones ratting on each it's other. The, it's the uh, the subpoena for Phil Fulmer on a teleconference, yeah, and, right. and which is like, but again, as a fan of the, the of the game and in the member of the media, like I want more of it. Give, give it all to me. <laughs> But it does remind me, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of NFL football players and NBA players where they're all like they're all best friends now. And like if we all just get along and stop all the the other stuff, like the NFL gets more popular, the NBA gets more popular. So it does remind me a little bit of that um, in terms Ralph, of. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead Braden. Um, were you did this surprise you? Because I have to say, Braden and I, and I know it's just, you know, a media uproar and it's interesting. And like Braden said, like we're like, it's fun, whatever. But working in. Like my background's in videos, like in broadcast. So I'm used to hearing coaches mic'd up after, like during games. I've heard all of it. Y'all have heard a lot. So does that make it slightly less surprising? Because Kirby Smart alluded to this. He's like, sure. that's nothing. If you had really heard what we heard, this would sound, what do you say? It, sound, it would sound like Disney. Mickey Mouse, yeah. It sound like Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Um, did you have a similar sentiment? Because it just did not shock me that much. Now, was it the wrong thing for Nick Saban to do? For sure, but I have to say I've heard a lot worse. No, so so I was shocked, and here's why. Because you're right, you can say I've heard worse, and I've had off the record conversations with coaches where they will like, "Hey, man, I hate that dude." <laughs> like, right, but it wasn't is, public. It's but but the fact, but so you know it's in them, <laughs> but there is a, a an enormous wall between right. the public and the private conversations and to see some of that spill out into public because they are so guarded. And that's what I, I guess my point, like it was yeah. shocking because of what you said, they are so guarded. They are so conditioned to not go there publicly Yeah, for a coach to go there publicly, to go there publicly against the most accomplished coach in the history of the sport. A person who is essentially college, he is, Nick Saban is college football to much of this country. Like he is the, he is the embodiment of college football to many sports fans. So for Jimbo Fisher to sort of go after him was, I, I think it was, I, I, I found it to be almost stunning. I'm watching that news conference, you know, via YouTube, like a lot of us did, watching the stream of it in my apartment in Brooklyn and every five, every, every few, every minute or so <laughs> he comes with another bomb and I'm just like, Oh, it was so, it, it, it's never been, it's not, it's not personal when you're yelling at someone during a game. Yeah. Like it's it's no. not about, it's not about their personal. It, like this was personal. 
and and it raises a and question. Yeah, and it raises a. I think it's the greatest press conference. You know, I think it passed Mike Gundy, and I think it passed Dan Hawkins. I think it's the greatest press conference that I've ever covered and in, in, or been around in my time. Um, do you, do you think they actually like each other? Don't like each other? Is there a real genuine animus there? Because it used to be that everyone thought Jimbo was like his prized oldest son pupil or whatever. Now it feels like they genuinely don't like each other. Yeah, I, I don't think they were ever super close. Um, I, I think that may have been something more of a media tale. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, I, I don't think they're they're like buddies in the way or again, as close as like Kirby was Kirby and, and Nick are. So I, I don't know if there is a fractured relationship that was once very like, oh, you know, we, we talk on the phone every week and now, no, we're not talking anymore. I think that there was probably a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a, I think that may have been overblown. Right. So I don't think we, we've got a relationship that was this and is now completely shattered. It was probably more of like, Hey man, like, oh, yeah, we work together and you're fine. We're fine with each other. And now there's probably less of that, you know, Jimbo, basically, here's what I'll say. I think Jimbo, I think both coaches were being strategic when it first started. Right. I think, I think Nick was trying to get a message across to his donors about, Hey man, like this is the game. Now we need to step up here at Alabama. Uh, and he, and I, but I also think he realized he was, he was in the wrong. He should not have called out Texas A&M. He should not have called out Miami or Jackson state for that matter. So I, I do think that there was an acknowledgement from, from, from Nick that, yeah, he probably, he probably stepped into a place where he shouldn't have. I think from Jimbo, I think he was a legitimately pissed if I am I'm allowed to say that here. Um, <laughs> I also think that what he has done with this stuff, defending his program in some way has bought him more credibility and mm -hmm. more goodwill with his fan base than mm -hmm. anything he has done on the field other than maybe beating Alabama. I mean, like the record hasn't been so stunning that like, oh, like, but, but nonetheless, the Aggies are really rallying around Jimbo. So I think if it, you know, Ross Bjork has said this, it, it galvanized our fan base, it galvanized our team, you know, well, I mean, th then that was calculated too. But I also, when he showed up here yesterday, I think it was yesterday, the days are bleeding into each other. And Jimbo talked personally and said, we're moving on, we're moving on, we're moving on. He didn't want to have anything more of it. I think it was also acknowledgement from Jimbo. Like, listen, I've done, I've, I've, I've done what I can here. I'm, I got my message across. I don't really need to belabor this. Yep. Like Thanks. we can, we can move on because like I, I mission accomplished. Let's go to the next thing. Then Scott Woodward just really put a nice bow on the whole thing by calling them <laughs> Talking about them being two hillbillies fighting oh, I love that from West line. Virginia. There's a, it's a no win situation. Feinbaum yeah, what, what died. Did he, what, what did he say? Like, don't get in he the. Said, don't I'm get not going to of... get in between two hillbillies <laughs> fighting from West Virginia. That's a no win situation. That's so yeah. good. Yeah. And then, so and then good. he back and then he backpedaled. But like, it, it's a great line. It's a great. It's line. a great line. It, you know, this is the thing. Like Scott doesn't talk on the record that much. So I think he had maybe it was one of those deals again, like he probably had said that in private, thought it was a funny line. And then like, so decided, yeah, sure, sure. I'm going to I'm going to do this in front of people here. And he then realized eh, maybe that was then the he, was, state, he was West he was Virginia is like, he was workshopping material. <laughs> yes, he was totally. Material. It was a bit. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, uh, go to Jasper's. Just going to throw this in here randomly at the end of the pod. Make sure you go to Jasper's and Four Top Hospitality all across the southeast and uh, of course, Ralph joining us uh, live from from Destin here, uh, and I want to get to the AP poll. We only have a couple minutes left, but I want to get to the AP poll in just in just a minute. But um, 
when, when you look at like what Saban's real true goal is, because I agree with you, you can't use specific words. We've already beaten this horse basically on every show that we've done. Um, is it now becoming a public PR strategy to try to shift public thinking? Like, because really they kind of agree with each other. And we've said this now for two weeks, like everyone is agreeing that they all need some uniform you know, whatever you want to call it, but no one can actually present any ideas. I'm assuming there was a lot of NIL talk down there and no new ideas because no one has any answers to this, right? Well, it's not necessarily no new ideas. It's it's what is the path to implementing those ideas? And this is the one thing I'll, I'll try to be quick on this. I asked Greg Sankey, like, I understand the NCAA has sort of been half sidelined here and we're waiting for congressional intervention possibly, but can the SEC do something legally to to regulate NIL within the SEC. You know, the idea it's a smaller group, so maybe there's less antitrust exposure. And basically what he said is like, I, I, we don't really know that yet. <laughs> like we, we have our lawyers on the case, but we're not sure if we if we can provide the oversight and policies that would stand a legal challenge. Mm, okay. I just think Nick's, I just think Nick's on his PR soapbox trying to get po- like public public opinion to change. So We'll see. We'll see. He's definitely using his soapbox in a certain way. Um, Can we, are we still going AP poll? Yeah, man. I have a couple questions. Okay. This is a large, a larger, maybe a little bit more vague, but you're involved with like, you've been here, been around for a long time. You're very respected in, you know, the industry. And you you the word you're looking for. Yeah. Very old. What'd you say? Very old. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'll get to the point. Old. Um, and then <laughs> the the AP poll, obviously, as well as like the college football playoff in general, is you're there's a lot of facts involved, but there's also a lot of subjectivity. And Braden and I were talking a little bit about group think yesterday. Braden brought that up. And then I'm just wondering how you kind of combat like the confusion between causality versus correlation and how those kind of like how you differentiate between the two. So I don't know if I'm going to have a good answer here. So I'm going to go to a stock answer. Okay. It may, and maybe it maybe this hits. One of the things that we try to do with the AP uh, poll is we don't give voters very much of any guide, strict guidelines. It's just it's a little bit and frankly, like the college football player. But like they started like we're just looking for the four best teams. We just, hey, rank the teams as you think as you, as you see fit, you know, the best teams in the country. And I think part of, I know people cringe at that because, oh, it's so, it's so subjective. It's so subjective, but what you want is to sort of avoid some of the group think, and you want to encourage people to think, okay, like we don't want you to just check a box here and say, okay, this team checks five boxes. So they go here, this team checks four boxes. So they're next. And I think by allowing the voters to sort of meld some of their own criteria, basically we tell them like, ultimately it's play the results, right? Right. Watch what happens on the field and react to those results and incorporate that into your, into your ballot. And that's kind of it. At that point, we that don't- That makes sense to me. Because I do think the more you try to layer criteria on how you should vote, the more you're likely to sort of, you know, you know, I, I think foster some of the group think. And then all of a sudden you find yourself thinking like, why are we even doing this poll? Why don't we just have a formula? 
So what you're saying is that people meet you with, it's so subjective, it's not concrete enough, but what you're saying is by taking away some of the... Yeah, you're yeah. you're creating bias when you're taking away some sort of subjectivity because then you do create the same groupthink model. I I think so. And listen, I think that's we right. Know, we know we're not. I, I am I am not. Uh, I am not blind to the idea that we are not perfect. This is not a perfect ranking system because, and it's not supposed to be. I think that what we understand, or I understand from being around it so much, is uh, the biggest thing is uh, is the difference between team five and team 11, while people may look at that and go, oh, how can that be? Like there is, it's probably just one game, a couple of points here and there. Might, it might be, uh, so, it might be one play. Well, it and maybe one even play. one bad subjective call. Yep. Yeah. So you, yeah. You've, right. You know, right. Yeah. Well, uh, Ralph, thank you so much, man. Uh, obviously, you can get to him on the Twitter Alf, at Ralph D. Russo, right? Is that correct? Did I have that? Ralph D. Russo That's AP. Right. Ralph and we D. Are, Russo AP. And technically, we're still in first place, but it's only June, so our hearts soon to be ripped out of our chest as Mets fans. It's just how it is. Um, I'll, we got I think, college I think baseball they actually here. might be good, Braden. Don't I say that, dude. That's what that, I hate to even say it. I think they actually might be pretty good. Famous last words. Uh, Ralph, Ralph, thank you so much. Make sure you're following Aaron on the Twitters at the Aaron Dugan at Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. You can get to me, of course, at Braden Gall. Full 40 Sports on the YouTube page. Make sure you check all that stuff out as well. And, of course, our wonderful sponsor, Jaspers in Nashville, as well as all the other great Four Top Hospitality locations across the Southeast. Maybe we'll Nailed get it. Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin yelling at each other next week. One one can dream. One can dream. What thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ralph. And thank you guys all for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, all that great stuff. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Thanks, Ralph. Thanks, guys.